Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Today is part two in our sermon series entitled A Culture of Prayer. Praying first, praying right, praying often. Culture is a way of life. As you read through the book of Acts, you'll see how the first century church was marked by prayer. I shared last week that certainly the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, my house shall be called a house of prayer, speaks of the church living and breathing in a culture of prayer, operating from the essential foundation of total dependence on God. Total dependence on God. The Apostle Paul's exhortation to the church in Thessalonica in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, pray without ceasing supports this understanding of making prayer a way of life. I, I like what Bill Kirk shared about this verse last Wednesday evening during our prayer service. He shared praying without ceasing is an attitude. It's an attitude of the heart. Church, it's a way of life. There's a story of five young college students who were spending a Sunday in London, and so they went to hear the famed Charles Spurgeon preach. How many has ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Many of us here. Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers. His sermons were impactful, reaching deep into the soul of the hearers. In January of 1892, Charles Spurgeon went home to be with the Lord. They estimated that nearly 60,000 people came to show their respect and that, that 100,000 people lined the streets as the funeral procession, two miles long, followed his hearse from the Metropolitan Tabernacle to the cemetery. These five students, while waiting for the doors to open at the church, the students were greeted by a man who asked, gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the boiler room of this church? And these five students, they thought his question strange and were not really that interested in the boiler room for it was a hot day in July. But they didn't want to offend the stranger. And so they said, yes, sir. The young men were taken down a stairway a door was quietly opened, and their guide whispered, this is our boiler room. This is our boiler room. Come and see. Surprised, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. Softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself. It was none other than Charles Spurgeon. A culture of prayer was the power behind his famed preaching. Father, I pray in heaven that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would do only what you can do in this gathering today. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Glorify yourself in this place, in, your, in the preaching of your word. I pray through the power of your spirit, you would open hearts, minds to the truth that will be shared today in Jesus' name, amen. 
Last Sunday, we read the story of the poor layman begging at the gate of the temple called Beautiful. The story is found in Acts chapter 4. The man was looking for monetary help but received something money could not provide, healing for his body and salvation for his soul. Peter and John, apostles of Jesus Christ, they were on their way to the temple to pray. Uh, Prayer was a, a way of life for the first century church. Impressed by the Holy Spirit, they stopped. Peter and John stopped. Now the scriptures tell us that this poor layman was brought there daily. And so it's quite possible that Peter and John saw this man before. It's also important to know he was not the only one there begging for help. There were others there begging for help. But in God's perfect timing, the Holy Spirit impressed on Peter and John to stop to help this man. Peter and John were sensitive to the the voice and leading of the Holy Spirit. And so they, they stopped to allow the Holy Spirit to glorify Christ through them. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He was sent to glorify Christ, to, to make Christ known, to lift up Christ. And so they stopped to allow the Holy Spirit to glorify Christ through them. Even though Christ is no longer here in human flesh, his work continues in the world today. The Holy Spirit continues what Jesus started to do, and he works through the church to do it. He works through every born-again believer, Christ follower, you and me. Incredible. Sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, Peter and John stop, and the Holy Spirit ministers through them the healing power of Jesus Christ to this layman, and he's miraculously made whole. Church, things like this still happen in the world today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Thousands see this layman leaping and praising God. They knew this was this poor beggar dropped there daily at Gate Beautiful. And thousands see him leaping and praising God. And Peter gives witness to the risen and ascended Christ. And about 5,000 are saved. Well, those in positions of authority and power both in the religious and political worlds, were threatened by this miracle done in the name of Jesus. They arrested Peter and John and threatened their lives, demanding that they stop preaching in Jesus' name. When they released Peter and John, they returned to their brothers and sisters in Christ and, and shared all that had happened. So what's the first thing they do? What's the first thing they do? They ask around for the name of a good attorney. No, that's not what they do. They pray for boldness. The first century church was marked by a culture of prayer. Prayer was a way of life. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Verse 33 states, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. There are several things here in these two verses we don't want to miss. 
Acts chapter 4, verses 31 and 33. There's several things. I could preach weeks, but I won't. Prayer is an invitation to the Holy Spirit to come. When the church prays, the Holy Spirit ministers to each believer. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In this prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit comes. They're already filled with the Holy Spirit. But in this prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit comes in a, in a special, special way. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 14, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he writes, these all continued with one accord in prayer. And then in Acts 2, 4, we read, while in this prayer meeting, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Prayer is an invitation to the Holy Spirit to come. Church, the Holy Spirit was actively involved in their prayer meetings, and he longs to be actively involved in our prayer meetings too. Can I hear a big amen? In Romans chapter 8, the apostle Paul writes in, in verse 26 how the Holy Spirit helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit, church, the Holy Spirit desires to be involved in our prayer lives and in our prayer meetings. The Holy Spirit enabled the first century church to pray right. And he is available to help us pray right today. And Pastor Bob is going to preach on this next Sunday. The early church, inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit, prayed first, prayed right, prayed often. Two more things we don't want to miss in these two verses. When the church commits to pray, the church will experience great Power, great power. If you're taking notes, write this somewhere. Great power. And with great power, Luke writes, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word for power is dunamis. It is God's power for performing miracles. It's God's power for mighty preaching. And they will also experience great grace. Great grace, write this somewhere, great grace. Luke writes, in great grace was upon them all. Grace speaks of God's favor. In doing a Greek word study, the Greek word for grace conveys the kindness of God. Listen to this church. It conveys the kindness of God, the favor of God in bringing to bear his holy influence upon souls, turning them to Christ, aligning them to his word and to his will. How many want the favor of God? Prayer invites the favor of God to come. And so when we gather together to pray, great favor comes upon us. God brings to bear his holy influence upon those we pray for. How many need God's favor as you prepare to share the gospel with a family member? Pray. How many need God's favor as you seek to restore a strained relationship, a broken marriage, 
pray. How many need God's favor as you find yourself in a difficult situation? Pray. Jim Simbler, the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, he writes in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, when we get serious about drawing upon God's power, remarkable things will happen. Backed by prayer and his power, we can accomplish the unthinkable. Great power, great favor accompanies a praying church. Great power, great favor accompanies a praying church church. God's power, God's favor accompanies a praying church. We need his power. We need his favor. Acts chapter 12 is a great story of the church praying in the book of Acts. I like to walk through verses 1 through 16 this morning. Let's begin by looking at verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. So we've got the context of persecution again. Last week in Acts chapter 4, we, we witnessed persecution. Persecution began in the first century church back in, in Acts chapter 4. Here in Acts chapter 12, we got the context of persecution again. Being in the center of God's will, as I shared last week, will not always be the safest place to be. It can be a very dangerous place, but it's the most rewarding place. Can I hear a big amen? amen? Serving Christ isn't for the faint of heart. We have to be careful how we present the gospel today, how we present what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We have to be careful. Serving Christ isn't for the faint of heart. Look at verses 2 through 4. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, speaking of Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him. You think he was a little intimidated by Peter? the one he served, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. James was martyred. Peter was arrested, thrown in prison, and after Passover was facing certain death. Absolutely no doubt about it. What was the church doing? Look at verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. You mean the church wasn't having a potluck supper? But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. So here, here is what happens. Look at verse 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Let's pause here for just a moment. Peter, he, he's about to face the same fate that James had faced. He, he was going to die by the sword. He's sitting there in prison. Now, you would think if there was a night he couldn't sleep, it would be this night. Peter is fast asleep. We see this in our text. Peter is fast asleep, possibly snoring in, in, in the jail. 
He's not devising some prison break. No, he's in a deep sleep. He's just snoring away. It's a picture of the peace of God. Church, we have a a beautiful picture of the peace of God in a very difficult situation. Church, do you see the peace of God in the middle of the prison? When prayer is a way of life, so will the peace of God be a way of life. I sense the Holy Spirit just dropped that wonderful, comforting truth in my heart. When prayer is a way of life, so will the peace of God be a way of life, even in the most difficult and painful situations. The Apostle Paul instructs believers in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer. But in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication is a a deeper depth in prayer. With thanksgiving. God's people are thankful people. Amen. Thankful for this incredible privilege to come before a holy God. To come before his throne room. God who is bigger than big. Because we've been wrapped in the righteousness of his son. We can't help when we pray but to be thankful, thanking God for making a way for us to come before him, God who cannot be measured, thanking him that we can come before him. As small as we are, we can come before him because of how big Jesus is in our lives. You can't help but come to God in prayer and and offer thanksgiving. Right praying involves thanksgiving. Right praying offers thanksgiving. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. These two verses we can preach on them for weeks. What happens next is somewhat humorous. Look at verse 7 of our text. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. An angel, I mean, think about this. I love this story. I found myself just chuckling. An angel comes into the cell. I mean, it's a A grand entrance. Not every day an angel comes and shows up on the scene. I mean, this is a grand entrance. You've got this white, bright, shining light filling your cell, according to our text. This majestic scene is going on. What's Peter doing? He's sleeping. And so what does the angel do? He comes over to Peter and Peter's just snoring away. I mean, he, he makes this grand entrance. I mean, this incredible light from heaven. Heaven's light fills the whole cell. And what's Peter doing? And so what does the angel do? Maybe he rolled his eyes and said, oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. 
He comes over to Peter and he, you know, hey, Peter, Peter, wake up, Peter. Oh, I think we all can relate to Peter, can't we, church? And so the angel struck Peter on the side and pulled him up off the floor. It's like, get up, dude. <laughs> Look at verse 8. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did, and he said to him, put on your garment and, and follow me. I think that was good advice. The angel says, get dressed, put some clothes on. We're breaking out. We're breaking out. Good thing. He gave him that advice. Get dressed, put some clothes on. We're breaking out. And so Peter gets dressed. Look at verse 9. And so he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Peter was still in the daze. I'm sure you've been awoken out of a deep sleep and you didn't know where you were, who you were, what day it was. I had that experience a couple weeks ago. Look at verse 10. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord, which opened to them of its own accord. I don't have the measurement. I don't have the weight. But it was a big gate. It was a heavy gate. And it opened all by itself. No. God's hand opened the gate. And they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. I just love Peter. He's one of my favorites. He's been woken up by an angel. He walked past two guard posts. This huge heavy gate opens all by itself. He's now a street past the prison. And then he says, look at verse 11. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. I think most of us can relate to Peter. We don't always recognize or see how God is working. And then like Peter, you realize something out of your control, something supernatural just happened. You have no doubt that it was done by the hand of almighty God. Look at verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together. What were they doing? Praying. They were praying. Prayer was a way of life for the first century church. There's no doubt that they are praying for Peter. Look at verse 13. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named um, Rhoda came to answer. Rhoda, so overjoyed to see Peter, she ran back without opening the door. Look at verse 14. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. She tells everyone, Peter, Peter, the one we've been praying for, he's at the door. No, no, he's at the door. We've been praying for Peter. Peter is at the door. Come, come and see. Look at verse 15. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. In other words, you're crazy, woman. 
You're a crazy woman. What do you mean? We've been praying fervently for Peter. We've been asking for for great power, for great favor from heaven. And, And Peter's knocking at the door. He's at the front door. Come and see for yourself. You're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it's his angel. That's a message, maybe for another day. We don't want to miss the picture here. The church is praying. They're praying for Peter. What happens? Peter shows up at their door. Would we be surprised like the rest of these folks? Church, prayer done In Jesus' name, prayer prayed right invites God to intervene. Look at verse 16. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished, amazed. Now last Sunday and today, we have seen two pictures of prayer in the early church. These two powerful prayer meetings point to two amazing truths. Number one, God's sovereignty. I talked about God's sovereignty last Sunday. We pray to the God who is sovereign over everything in the world. The sovereignty of God basically means that he is in control. He has a purpose and he will accomplish his purpose no matter what. None of us can stop his purpose. All the power in hell cannot stop his purpose. He is the one who is sovereign. He is the one that is in control. In fact, Psalms 24 verse 1 states, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it belong to God. Do you believe that, church? Not only is he sovereign, but we see also through last week's story in Acts chapter 4 and in this week's story in Acts chapter 12 that he is also the God who supplies everything we need. Do you believe that, church? These two powerful prayer meetings point to two amazing truths. Number one, God's sovereignty. Number two, God's supply. I want to share a verse that doesn't specifically talk about prayer, but it teaches us a lot about prayer and about how the early church viewed prayer. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. The apostle Paul is speaking at a place called Mars Hill, basically to to a bunch of people who were very close to the gospel. How many know people who are very hard, very close to the gospel? This is the group of people that the Apostle Paul was sharing the gospel with. Listen to what he tells them in verses 24 and 25. God who made the world and everything in it, who made the world and everything in it, Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in the temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, anything from us, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Does God have any needs? Does God need anything from us? since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Here is the key that the early church knew about prayer. If you remember nothing else today, please remember this. 
The key to seeing the power of God, the favor of God in the church, in your personal life is not found in you helping God, but God helping you. The early church prayed because they depended 100% on God, who is sovereign, who is also the one who supplies. In his sovereignty and supply, he would accomplish his work through them. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 states, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. For it is God who what? works in you to will, to both will and to do for his good pleasure. The early church understood. It wasn't them going out and trying to do a bunch of great things for God. It was letting God work his great power through them. That's exactly what Peter and John did back in Acts 3. They let God work his great power. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I do. But what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Acts chapter 3, verse 6. When they had gathered together in Acts chapter 4, they prayed, God, we need boldness to preach your word. In the name of Jesus, we were threatened. We were told if we did, they'd kill us. God, we need boldness to preach your word. And God supplied boldness. In Acts 12, James had been beheaded. Now Peter is about to be beheaded. The church cries out in prayer, God, we need your deliverance. And God supplied deliverance. This is the great confidence, church, we have in prayer. God, who is sovereign, who is in control, supplies everything we need. Following 70 years of exile in Babylon, the Jews returned to rebuild the temple and the broken walls of Jerusalem. But opposition from the enemies of the restoration, unwillingness among the people of God, and lack of finances all led to discouragement and a temporary end to the rebuilding of the walls. But the word of the Lord, how many need a word from the Lord today? But the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet to encourage the whole nation with a reminder that God was with them and he was working. I love what Pastor Bill said on Wednesday. Even though you can't see your hair growing, it's growing. Even though we can't always see God working, we know that God is always working. Amen, church? Do you believe that? Zechariah 4, 6 states, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God's work is not about human ability or human strength. It's about God's great power and supply. Your human ability, my human ability is not sufficient to do the will or, or to work the work of God. It's not sufficient. It's, it's insufficient. It is not about what you can do for God, but what God alone can do for you. And the early church understood this. Today, if we're honest with ourselves, the church is a group of self-sufficient people who think we're going to go out and do a good work for God. 
we're going to go out. And we're going to do good work for God in our, in our own wisdom, in our own strength. We're going to build these new modern-day buildings. We're going to have all these cool lights. We're going to go out and do something great for God. Self-sufficient. Relying on our wisdom, relying on our ability, our cleverness. We're going to change the way we dress. We're going to have loud driving music. We're going to have hip cafes and be known for our coffee. We're going to do a bunch of kind acts in the name of Jesus. Yes, we're going to go out and do a bunch of kind acts in the name of Jesus. The question is, what is God going to do? The early church didn't have a building. They didn't have cool lights. They didn't live to make a fashion statement. The culture that they lived in. They didn't have loud driving music or, or try to be a Christian version of Starbucks and talk about how tasty the church coffee is. No. They fell on their faces and prayed. They didn't have Starbucks coffee. They had great power and great grace. They had great power and great grace. Why did they pray? Why should we pray? Number one, they were dependent on God's power. Would you fill in the blank if you're taking notes at the very end of your outline? They were dependent on God's power. Acts 4.33 says that great power was upon them. Literally, it means mega power. Let's forget mega box. How many here, you want mega bucks? How many spent a few bucks hoping you'd get mega bucks? How many spent time praying for mega power? Because mega power will do a whole lot more than mega bucks. How many of you drove out of your way not to be seen to buy They had mega power from God. Let's take a quick journey, please. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, we read earlier, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and with his brothers. What, what happens as a result? Acts 2, 4 states, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They had mega power from God. What does Peter do? Peter stands up and preaches. And by Acts chapter 2 verse 41, you've got 3,000 plus people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2 verse 41, it states, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That was worth getting together to pray. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of what? Prayer. 
What happens as a result? A lame man walks for the very first time in his life. Acts chapter 4, verse 4 says, the number of people who placed their faith in Christ grew to over 5,000. I'll read it. However, many of those who heard the word believed in the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Heaven's strategy seems to be working well. Would you agree, church, with a big amen? Now, in Acts chapter 6, because of some needs within the church, prayer went from being fundamental to supplemental. It got relegated to a minor duty of the apostles. As the church grew, they got busy doing all things, all, other, all these other things. As a result of a growing church that, that need to be done. But prayer got relegated to a minor duty of the apostles. And so they say, with the wisdom of God, let's get some deacons. Acts 6.3 says, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. You see, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are also filled with the wisdom of God, whom we may appoint over this business. Acts 6.4 says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. What does Acts 6.7 say? Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Hey, Jerusalem, that was a tough place to preach the gospel. That was tough. Hey, you have a tough family member? You have a tough co-worker? You have a tough, uh, a tough neighbor? You live in a tough part of the city, um, the, the town? Uh, maybe you live in a, in, a, in a country that's tough. Jerusalem was a tough place to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in this difficult city, in this difficult place, in this hard place towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. Prayer seems to be ushering in great grace, God's mega favor. How many need God's mega favor? In Acts chapter 7, verse 59, Stephen is in the process of being stoned. He was in the center of God's will. He was serving the mission of God. The call of God was on his life. The center of God's will is not a safe place. It's a very dangerous place, but it's the best place to be. It's the most rewarding place to be. This side of heaven is not the place of reward. There is an award. There's rewards awaiting us. There are crowns awaiting us. Beyond this life, the early church understood this. Stephen understood this. So he's in the process of being stoned here in Acts chapter 7. So what does he do? What does he do? You guessed it. He prays. Acts 7.59 says, And they stoned Stephen, and as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, then he fell on his knees. Look at Acts 7.60, or write it down in your notes. It says, Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, Saul was there. He was there giving approval to Stephen's death. In fact, he, he most likely gave the direction to stone Stephen. He was an evangelist. He was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were forbidden to preach in Jesus' name. Stephen, as, as, as stones were being thrown at him, was praying for who? Saul. The early church was praying for this man named Saul. 
He was a persecutor. He was behind the persecution. He was a two in the devil's hand. By the middle of Acts chapter 9, scales fall off Saul's eye. He becomes um, Paul, the great apostle. He meets Christ, is saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and begins boldly preaching the gospel in Jesus' name. Boy, I hope that gets you excited. You want to talk about real life transformation? That's what happens when God's mega power intervenes. When God's mega favor comes on the scene, there is real life transformation. It reaches deep into someone's soul, into someone's heart. Church, prayer works even when you're being stoned. Wait a minute, that didn't sound right. Especially with everything that's going on in Colorado. But yes, prayer works even when you're being stoned, even when you're being persecuted. In Acts chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3, they gather together and they pray. Um, 13, 1 says, now in, the church that was, uh, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. As you continue to read, their names are listed. Acts 13, 2 says, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Acts 13, 3 says, Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Church, something significant happened. I'm going to just expound briefly more on this this evening. But something here happened that was so significant. That prayer meeting inaugurated the entire missionary movement of the first century church, the early church. Paul goes on one missionary journey, then another, then another, then another, then another, and and churches are being started all over the region because they pray together. And during that time of prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks, and the Lord sends them out. Oh, how we need to come together as a family from the very youngest to the very oldest in in this most beautiful, humble, place of prayer where, where mega power from on high comes. It's as God's people join together in one accord and that's a special, special detail that we see throughout the, the book of Acts. They were in one accord. 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 There's something about being in one accord. There's power in, in the unity within the body of Christ and when we come together in one accord in unity and we pray that prayer serves as an invitation for the mega power of God, the mega favor of God. Oh, that we would see young men and women, boys and girls in these prayer meetings hear the voice of the Holy Spirit being set apart for full-time service in the mission field. It's missing today. It's missing today because prayer is missing today. Let's look at one more, and then we'll call it a day or a morning, because we're coming back tonight. Go to Acts 16. Look at verse 25. This time it's not Peter in prison. It's Paul and Silas in prison. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. You see, the early church was marked by a culture of prayer. Prayer was a way of life, even when in prison for doing God's will. Whether you're being stoned or or sitting in prison, you pray. And so what happens? Well, as as you read 
in Acts 16, verses 22 through 33, we see. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, uh, and ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. One minute you've got a guy who's holding you captive. He's your enemy. You're praying. You're singing hymns to your Savior who's sovereign and who supplies. And suddenly, within a matter of seconds, your enemy who's holding you captive becomes your brother in Christ. You can't make this stuff up. Only God can do something like this. Only God can do something like this. Church, how do you see the power of God at work? How do you see the power of God at work like that? How? Pray. Depend 100% on God's power. As I close, I ask two questions. Why did they pray? Why did the first century church pray? Why should we pray? Why should Pat Medeiros pray? Why did, the, why did the church in the first century pray? Number one, they were dependent on God's power, mega power. Number two, they were desperate for God's grace, God's favor. Are you desperate for God's favor? God's favor. And number three, they were devoted to God's mission. They realized that this life was bigger than all the toys we can possess. There was a bigger purpose than the paycheck in the white picket fence. There was a bigger, greater purpose. Church, God has given us prayer. Everything we have in this world, we read earlier, has been given to us by the hand of God. And God, hear this this morning, God has given us prayer. God has. Prayer is not man's idea. It's not the church's idea. It's God's. And God has given us prayer because Jesus has given us a mission. Therefore, go and make disciples. It's been said, where there is no vision of eternity, there is no prayer for the perishing. All great sowers have been men and women much and mighty in prayer. Would you join me standing?